Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 15. We have the whole gang here this week. We have Mark, Sarah, Gladys, and myself, Michael. We also have a special guest, Tom Quinn, who's here to talk to us about the Azure Security Top 10 Practices. But before we do that, let's get stuck into the news. I'll kick it off. Last couple of weeks, we've seen a couple of uh, new improvements to Azure Key Vault, one of my favorite favorite services in Azure. The first is support for Azure Policy in Azure Key Vault. Uh, this allows you to enforce policies like uh, we're only going to allow RSA keys of a certain size, or we're only going to allow specific elliptic curves. You can set policy around managing uh, certificate expiration notifications. You could also say uh, we're only going to allow this key vault to issue certificates that are issued by a specific set of CAs, certificate authorities. Uh, that's in private preview. The other one is also in Azure Key Vault, and that is the ability to set an RBAC control, role-based access control, um, at the leaf node. Uh, so today you can set a policy at the Azure Key Vault level itself. So you can say that on this Key Vault uh, team, ABC, has read access to secrets. And you can have another team, team XYZ, has read write access to, say, certificates. Well, now you can actually say that uh, we want uh, individual access on individual keys. So you may say that team ABC only has read write access to one specific key or n specific keys. And perhaps another team XYZ has read write access to only these three certificates, not all certificates. So a couple updates from my side. Uh, we released a blog on uh, IoT and OT board level guidance. So what should you be thinking about as you're putting together sort of a risk summary for the for the oversight folks in the uh, the board, the board of directors? Like what is the stuff that you should be thinking about from an IoT OT perspective there? Um, so that uh, that one uh, did post, so I got a link for that in the show notes. I also uh, presented uh, not too long ago um, a zero trust session and really kind of stretched the bounds a little bit and you know broke a few rules by presenting uh, different levels of uh, material for sort of like a business audience, um, a uh, sort of CISO CIO, and then sort of technical manager, middle manager, you know, within IT and security, and then uh, technical stuff on how to implement. So bent the rules for the purpose of really. Um, how do we really look at zero trust? Because it really looks differently depending on where you are in the organization. And then we went and uh, took those uh, zero trust principles um, of least privilege, explicitly verify and assume breach, um, Microsoft principles. Um, there's also an open group core principles um, that we also covered in there. But how do we apply those principles to different environments, different architectures so that you can actually create coherent zero trust initiatives? So productivity and user access tends to be one everybody thinks about, and that's 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 a really important one. There's an architecture and a set of things there. The data center is a little bit different. Like what you would do there tends to be a little bit more network oriented, um, and you know there's some opportunities around uh, microsegmentation. Not necessarily always the best first step compared to the other stuff, but you know it really looks differently zero trust wise there. OT so operational technology or kind of SCADA ICS um, old stuff. Uh, okay, I got to find the acronym. Supervisory control and data acquisition. Got the SCADA, and then industrial control systems (ICS). So, kind of the the computers that have been around 30 to 50 years, you know, controlling these machines, you know, up to that point. 
um, you know, how do we, uh, how do you apply zero trust to that? So, um, uh, and it applies quite well actually. And then uh, security operations as as well. Like, how do you do the the monitoring and response recovery over it? So, you know, how do you apply these principles to those different environments? You know, given the different constraints, and you know, kind of the you know the old applications, the old uh, hardware, the old etc., all the way to the newest and latest cloud stuff. And and, and zero trust really looks different depending on those environments. So, um, really uh, enjoyed uh, doing that session, and a lot of folks found it useful. So. Um, we'll uh, point you out where the recording is going to post. It's not quite there yet, but it will be soon. Hey, Mark, can I just interject yeah, real please. quickly? So on the very first one, you, you talked about board level guidance. Yep. When you said board level guidance, I interpreted the word board differently. I thought board, IoT board to me means like a board where you put electronics oh, on Oh, like the green board with all chips on it, yeah. Yeah, but you don't mean that, right? You mean no, like no, the board as an executive. The highest oh, okay. level of the organization overseeing everything management does, yes. Okay, okay. I'll be honest, as you started talking about it, I'm like, is that what it really means? And I went and looked, and I'm like, no, Mark was right. I was wrong. And then um, the last thing is just, just sharing some thinking that that we're doing here, we're starting to realize because VPN has been this technology that we that was developed what 10, 20, 30 years ago, I don't even remember anymore, um, that we sort of accepted as part of the background. But once we all went into sort of the COVID remote um, kind of workforce lockdown quarantine craziness, you know, we started to to like really stress out the VPN kind of for different areas, and it made us sort of rethink and look at it. And so the things that we're sort of seeing here is that, you know, you've got two different kinds of VPN. One is like your site to site, kind of your data center to data center or, you know, remote branch office to main data center or to cloud or whatever, right? That sort of un uh, unattended sort of one. And then there's the VPN, the virtual private networking for end user access. And we're starting to find that there's, there's some real limitations on that from both a usability standpoint, which we've all known forever, uh, but also from a security standpoint, because you end up getting full network access and then the authentication to actually authenticate to the VPN is not always the strongest. Sometimes there's some MFA in there, but often not. And so Microsoft's actually been partnering um, with the VPN providers to get Azure AD and the conditional access and all that zero trust kind of user device explicit validation goodness into the authentication. Sort of, sort of like a, you know, hey, let's strengthen up the VPNs that you have. Um, but we're also seeing that there's a, a lot of interest in sort of going beyond VPN and saying, let me just publish this out with a reverse proxy. And so take all these crusty on-prem legacy applications um, on the intranet, publish them out, get all that same zero trust stuff, but then be able to drop them not on the full network, but just drop them specifically to that app and that app only, which really lowers your security profile. So we're working on uh, some guidance in that direction um, as well. Um, so really been thinking a lot about that VPN uh, space to, to try and improve our guidance uh, in that area. Um, so with that, um, we'll hand over to Sarah. So I've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Log Analytics um, and Azure Monitor, and that's what I'm talking about this week. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the Log Analytics Linux Agent for 2020 update is now available. Um, that release has got support for Python 3. It's got additional Linux distro support, and it's also got a new troubleshooting tool. So if you um, have automatic Azure extensions updates turned on, this update is gonna get automatically applied. Um, otherwise you can go to the GitHub repo and download it from there. Um, I definitely go and have a look at that anyway. And so you can have a look at the agent release notes. 
So that's my first one. And my second one is probably uh, one of the things that I think is really, really cool. And I know a lot of people have been waiting for it. Now the uh, log analytics um, uh, data export is in public preview. So what this means is that you can use Event Hub to send things from your Azure log analytics into uh, either um, a storage account or you can send it somewhere else um, externally if you want to, um, to be able to store the data. Now you could do this before, but you needed to use like a logic app or something to do it. And this is much cleaner and tidier. And of course it's using Event Hub, which is the main way that we like to export things in Azure. Um, I know a lot of customers that I've been working with have been waiting for this. So really excited it's finally here. So go and give it a go. Um, in particular, if you're um, using Using Azure Sentinel, for example, because I'm a little bit biased towards that, um, and you want to keep the logs, maybe you need to keep them for a number of years, but you don't want to keep them in log analytics, um, for want of a better phrase, as hot storage, then you can use this feature now to export everything to a storage account or to a storage account and archive it there, or um, if needs be, this also allows you to send it somewhere else too. So go and check it out. We have the links in the show notes for the details on that. All right, so um, I've been lately uh, reading a lot about um, other Azure services um, that normally are not accustomed to be dealing with. And one of the um, uh, capabilities that I'm reading a lot is uh, about IoT. Thank God that Mark is uh, writing a lot of blogs out there. Um, but one of the articles that I was reading was talking about um, that by 2025, there will be 21.5 billion uh, IoT devices. And um, is the article was uh, saying how many of these devices are not properly managed. Uh, they don't have the latest firmware or they're not managed at all. Um, and actually uh, at that time, I started thinking back to a training that I, uh, I took some years ago that was talking about how many attacks tend to use IoT devices uh, out of uh, in the internet to create DDoS attacks. Uh, so it's interesting that all these uh, is being put uh, together. So Microsoft is, uh, is enabling a lot of different securities and uh, capabilities, and one is Azure uh, Sphere. Uh, which um, right now we are in a testing phases and it's available for compatibility testing. Basically, they want um, for everyone to test that the devices are working correctly and the applications are working correctly. The other area that I'm trying to expand on is uh, um, Azure uh, Space. And actually, I found interesting uh, that as part of Azure Space, uh, Microsoft is uh, having a modular data center. Uh, it's called Azure Modular Data Center. And uh, as um, as many of you may know, um, Azure Space focuses in satellites. Well, these modular data centers, um, they are interconnecting it uh, to, to uh, satellites. Then I was like, how can we, can we use these capabilities? Well, um, I remember back uh, 2017, uh, Puerto Rico, which is uh, dear to me, I'm from there, had the, the Maria hurricane. And one of the issues that they had is that 
there were areas that had electricity, but mo most of the infrastructure did not have electricity. Uh, and then I started thinking, wow, uh, it would have been awesome that we could take this trailer with all these uh, uh, storage and compute and put it near where there were electricity and enable all this capability, the communication. Many of us were communicating through Facebook, phones, batteries. Uh, that was the communication uh, happening. I remember I sent uh, packages to um, uh, my family over there and they told me, Gladys, uh, the way they're tracking this is that they have it written in a paper and they're going a row by row looking for packages. Uh, it, so it takes sometimes a couple of hours for them to find a package to give it to you. So imagine that uh, we could put uh, something like that in, in an area where they can track packages. So uh, I started thinking that this would be awesome for emergency uh, type of areas uh, and even uh, for government uh, related USAID and uh, emergency, other type of emergencies. That's it for me. Back to Mike. Thanks, Gladys. Now let's turn our attention to Tom Quinn. Uh, Tom is going to talk about the Azure Security Top 10 Best Practices with Mark. Uh, but before we get started, uh, Tom, why don't you give us a bit of blurb about yourself, uh, how long you've been at Microsoft, what you do, and what you're passionate about. Excellent. Hey, well, thanks, uh, Mike. T uh, Tom Quinn, I'm an Azure Security and Compliance uh, Technical Specialist, Principal Architect on the Azure platform. Been here for about 12, 12 or 13 years. I kind of lose track. And um, much of that time, most of the time, spent working with customers around their Azure Security and Compliance needs journey architecture. Um, helping them out, worked with over, I just, I was thinking about it before this discussion, probably around 500 or so customers on their security compliance needs on Azure. Wow, 500, dude? <laughs> at, at least, yeah. So, uh, so we'll definitely have to be getting some of those sto some stories out of you as we go through this. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> some good, some bad, you know, that's how it goes. Mostly good. So the Azure Security Top 10, um, you know, it was heavily based on the experience of, of, of you, Tom, and, and your colleagues and coworkers. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of how it's structured and how it's broken up in this in this current revision? Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 been great working with the team, and including yourself too, Mark, to architect. You know, hey, what what are some of the what are some of the general guides? You know, what what, what advice can you give to customers um, with regards to best practices and thinking about the you know the typical sort of topical areas well, people process technology and architecture most people focus immediately on the technology but we found across you know working all the customers every, everything's important you know it's really, especially when it comes to security people process and architecture just as much as technology yeah i mean it's 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 funny like i, I found that technologists tend to bias towards technology first and is there something else oh, oh i'm a person yes okay yes there's people <laughs> So let's, let's start with the people side. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about the, the, the two best practices around there and kind of, um, you know, kind of how you interpret those, how you see those uh, kind of instantiate and, you know, some customer stories about like, you know, why, why those uh, are so important. Uh, it, it's interesting, uh, especially early on in discussions, say seven years ago with customers when they were first considering, you know, for some of them, first considering um, using cloud resources and talking with about the, just the structure and the, the journey when it comes to um, security, starting with what they know, what they're comfortable with, 
and how they're structured organizationally, and then how you kind of have to move um, move forward and, and look at things a little different in a sort of a cloud type model. And you're talking about software defined assets. Um, so how how is that fit with a traditional you know networking security mindset and a separate identity team is used to dealing with you know, people accessing email. So there's there's kind of like the typical fear and trepidation around things that are new and then figure out how to get from you know, where they are to where they ultimately especially early on where they think they want to go and then how to uh, you know adapt moving forward and a lot of it's around just education understanding you know what's involved with um, these new systems and kind of newer and some of it you know sort of almost like buzz buzzwords that became you know reality things like devops and devsecops and um, really taking advantage of the agility of things like the the cloud what does that mean from a security perspective when you're used to a uh, you know the the stereotypical hardened perimeter, and you're looking at hardening the the, the moat and and arming it as best you can. Uh, what's what's that look like when you start moving towards cloud? What are some of these new facets you have to consider? So a lot of it's around just education and, and awareness. So everyone on the teams understand you know, what are those pieces, what are those parts, and how do we deal with them? You have the old crotchety networking guy back in the corner of the room, and this happened a lot. Still happens sometimes. I'm old, I'm crotchety, so I can identify with that. But anyway, uh, it's, you know, you, I've had this quote a few times where it's like, I need to have full pass control everywhere. And, you know, do you? And maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. Like, I found that the, the education piece is, is so important because when you think about it, like, we all fear what we don't understand because we don't know how big the bread box is, right? Like, oh, you're doing something differently. Well, I have to make a security claim on that. I've got to say this thing is or isn't secure. I've got to make a judgment that people are going to rely on. I don't know how this works. So back in the day, I used to give all the security bootcamp training for engineering staff at Microsoft and Redmond. You know, we put everyone through bootcamp training just to make sure everyone had a baseline. For context, for our audience, that's the big stand down back in the XP development days, right? Yeah, it was around like 2000, 2001. Yeah, that's when when uh, we started that stuff. But you see, my job was looking after all the developers. And what was interesting about that was some people often outside of Microsoft would criticize us for the bootcamp training being only four hours long. You know, why is it not three weeks long? And so the answer is, is I'm not trying to turn everyone into security alpha geeks. The, what I really want to instill in people is give them an understanding of what they don't know. Um, the fact that these, you know, compromises, you know, attacks, compromises, vulnerabilities, and so on, are very much a real thing, and the impact of them can be catastrophic. And the whole point there was just, again, was to instill that, hey, this is stuff you probably don't know about because I can almost guarantee you were never taught it in school anyway. Um, so here's a baseline level of knowledge that you must know, and also you don't need to spend a gazillion dollars on this stuff. Um, you know, a few online training classes, maybe you know, maybe all it takes. And don't, you know, don't rule out the the person inside the organization who is an expert on this stuff, giving internal presentations and internal training material that relates back to what the business does, rather than it just being you know cold cloud security training. So yeah, don't you don't need to spend a gazillion dollars on this, and you don't need to put people out of work for for three weeks, four weeks while they go through security training. Yeah, completely agree. Like, and the other thing that I found is that 
you do have to set the time aside though, right? Like you got to make sure that, you know, hey, we were, we're used to learning technology as we go, but if you try to consume too much, uh, if you try to like consume this as you go and do on the job training for all of it, when there's so many assumptions that change, you know, you've got, you've got to sort of say, okay, we're going to set time aside. We're going to look at the big picture context. We're going to set time aside. We're going to go and learn these technologies that are part of this app. Like you can't just learn it as you go when there's so much changing with the cloud is the thing I've picked up. It's interesting what um, uh, Michael uh, just mentioned about what people do not know, because often I have um, realized that organizations have multiple uh, implementation going at once. And uh, with the cloud, we are interconnecting and, and services are interoperating. And they're not realizing sometimes that these services can do uh, the same thing uh, or, or cover multiple uh, requirements. Uh, so these uh, 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 people knowledge, uh, uh, the, the readiness is important because sometimes they will save money since the uh, same infrastructure can uh, protect uh, the environment in several uh, different areas. So, um, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit to the process uh, section, Tom. Can you kind of start us off by kind of covering what the the, the key best practices are there for uh, uh, so that we can kind of get a sense of that? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, of process, um, it's interesting working with customers. And just the other day, I was, I was talking about how critical process is from a security point of view. And people think of normal processes they go through, like incident response, absolutely important, um, but and stepping back and thinking of it from a cloud perspective, process in terms of what a security um, decision-making process is. Who owns what decision and what does that look like? And uh, just an example I was working with, oh, this past week it was with a large bank and talking with them about, hey, what is it, what's it look like coming from um, an idea, a line of business that has an idea, they want to create something. And it might might use some type of new service in the cloud. Um, what does that look like? Starting from the idea all the way through until production and even past production, you know, day two operations and updates. So those processes um, are, are, are really, I would say, fundamental and important, but oftentimes overlooked um, from a security perspective. So security needs to be interwoven you know, amongst them. And ultimately, when people step back and look at some of those processes, they see that, yes, uh, this is makes a lot of sense. It's secure, but even more so, it provides you know, like lines of business, the agility to move quickly, but really do so in a secure fashion. And Gladys, you brought up a good point um, earlier. It crosses um, multiple say discipline areas and oftentimes different parts of the organization. So there's some some benefits um, to those processes uh, crossing multiple pieces of your organization, especially where they can you know, reduce the amount of recreation of the wheel um, and leverage what other people have done. So it really is a, a the, the process is, is important. Um, and this includes, um, you know, kind of throughout it, maintaining uh, a security posture. We have great tools on the platform. Um, around maintaining security posture and governance, um, watching over what individual lines of business can do or can't do. Um, even uh, it was a couple weeks ago, spent a great deal of time. In fact, it might, Mikey mentioned earlier around 
um, we're talking about Azure policy and some of the governance capabilities as part of the platform. You know, there's a, there's a, a process that goes along with it. What are your requirements? You know, where where and what do you want to um, permit uh, developers to do, or even um, the operations team, or even the, the security operations team? Um, how is that governed? What are the processes around them? Um, they're they're fairly basic concepts, but um, they require some kind of discussion and almost negotiation amongst different uh, elements of the organization. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, one thing I want to highlight there is just sort of the simplicity of it. Like, this is, you know, at least, you know, the, the first part of it is as simple as this person does network security decisions for Azure. This person does identity security decisions for Azure. It can be that simple. Now, they then have to go and figure out how to make it part of their job and, you know, who they need to know, what they need to learn. But like sometimes this can start extremely simply and like who's going to watch secure score and make sure we're not going down we're going up like who's going to do that and then annoy all the people that own the resources to make them secure i couldn't agree with you more mark and in fact uh, one thing i suggest i've done this for at least you know at least 100 of those 500 customers start with a single piece of paper let's just draw it out you know, really on a whiteboard let's just uh, start very simply and it can evolve from there as you're yeah, as you evolve as a customer evolves um, and that's been a, a great practice. Uh, just keep it simple, um, keep to the basics, and then you move forward from there. So let's uh, let's shift to um, technology, everybody's uh, favorite topic. Um, so tell me about the the sort of specific technical best practices um, in the top ten uh, that that uh, we recommend for customers. Absolutely. Oh, and then speaking of the, the top ten, um, as part of this discussion, we. we remind everyone out there, you know, the, the top 10 are documented. Mark, you've done a great job you know, codifying these um, aka.msWAC Azure Security Top 10. So everything we're talking about, uh, you can go through and review yourselves. Uh, but from a technology perspective, um, and these are basically no-brainers. If you had to start somewhere, and most people start with the technologies, because it's, 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 it's interesting and it's more familiar than um, and sometimes easier, I'll have to admit, than people or process. Uh, so technology is where people leap to, and some of the, the no-brainer sort of findings we've found working with lots of customers of yours are, are they, they seem like no-brainers, they seem obvious, but it's amazing how often we still find people not implementing them. Number one being use of MFA, MFA and or a passwordless methodology. Uh, it's, it's just kind of crazy not to do it. Um, Absolutely, number one, uh, especially for privileged types of actions um, and identities, uh, including the you know the team that actually operates and defines your Azure environment. Amazing. You know, at one time I had a, this is a little bit earlier on. This is maybe you know about four years ago, working with a customer, and they were we spent hours talking about um, networking and our software-defined networking stack, how it works, and um, how packets transfer across. You know the hypervisor, and I step step back a bit. and was like, so how, who, who, and or whom uh, across your organization has access to the Azure portal? And they're defining things via the portal. And like, oh, it's oh, it's Joe. Well, he's the he's the account owner, and he's the subscription owner. He does everything. I'm like, so do you are you using things like MFA or any types of you know, conditional access? What controls do you have in place around Joe? And his credentials going in and changing on Joe wasn't his name, but uh, going and changing that environment. Oh, oh, he just logs in with his uh, 
his standard ID and you know his, his email essentially. Um, they weren't even using an organizational email; they're using a personal email. No controls, no protection around it. So here they're worrying about the, how a packet flows through the system, and that was what was hanging them up. That was a blocker, and that was their major risk. Whereas anyone could fish Joe, take over their entire Azure world. They were running production systems in Azure. So it's a just it's just crazy to think about, but that's a real example. Ouch. Yeah, I know uh, that, that's 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 some rough risk. I, the, the, the way I always talk about the MFA is, do you want to bet the security of your enterprise that the bad guys cannot steal or guess one password? <laughs> not, not a bet that I would personally take. <laughs> Perfect example. Yep, absolutely. And and some of the other ones too. And you mentioned, you know, what are the other top technologies? Um, even though it sounds more traditional, uh, but using security controls native and actually as best as much, much as you can, native security controls. This would include native um, as part of the cloud service at Azure, um, native uh, firewall capability, native security capabilities like Azure Security Center um, detections um, and native threat protection, threat detections, we call them advanced threat protections for a long time now, um, Defender. A lot of time and effort goes into designing these systems from our threat analysts and from a detections point of view. It's pretty hard to recreate. That'd be hard to get all that data. And the initial pass by most customers was to get into Splunk um, or SIM of choice and then uh, go through and then you know try to perform the same types of detections on their own. Um, one company I work with had 200 threat analysts, and that's what they did. That's all they did, um, not just for the Azure platform, but across their enterprise. And even there, there was still consideration. They were looking at using some of the detections that we had built into the system because they had signal. We used signal from the platform. Use uh, there, there are a lot of complex, I would say, techniques, including the the buzzwordy you know AI and ML type techniques. Um, mostly math and algorithms, you know, to really provide very rich type detections, kind of, and and they're pretty much out of the box. So it's a uh, something we do recommend, and it's, everyone has to formulate their own assessment decision around that. But after um, taking a look, I think most people find that it's it's very powerful, and they're they're kind of a, a, sort of a no brainer. When looking at technology, one of the and actually to uh, bring it back to process. Um, also, uh, organization needs to realize that older uh, processes may impact the operationalization of new technology. Um, I was in a customer that basically um, they were trying to migrate to uh, Office 365, but there were policies and processes that were talking, uh, uh, the data that they were trying to migrate should be on premises, right? And in order to fix all that, it took a little bit of time. So this is something that uh, organizations need to realize. Yeah, going back to Tom's comment on the sort of integrated controls, like this is the one that I find that's sort of like, the, the pleasant surprise, like the, the gift that you didn't realize was sitting there waiting for you to open is, hey, there's native stuff built in the platform, so you don't have to, 
you know, you know, I mean, you can bring in a third party firewall if it's easier to to um, to 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 you know work with your Palo, Palo Altos or your or uh, checkpoints or whatever because hey, we have processes around this. It's really mature. It's integrated. Great. Okay. Cool. Um, but like the the more important one, I think, is that threat detection piece because like. I find that so many security operations teams are so really good at networking, but they're not super familiar with sort of the application or the storage layer, you know, just in general, and particularly on the cloud, which is completely new. So it's like a new technology and on the new cloud platform. And it's really, really hard for them to go ahead and create a high quality alert based on the logs. Like they can get the logs ingested in the SIM pretty straightforward, but they don't understand the concepts of like how Azure storage works, how, um, uh, the app services are constructed and what kind of events you would expect and what would be an anomaly off of normal. And so those, we, we find that, you know, once organizations sort of find those Azure Defender capabilities, formerly the ATPs, um, and, and they, they see those things, they're like, wow, this is easy, this is great. And it allows them to sort of approve that, uh, that, that usage and, and get much better visibility on the workloads that are there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing that I find is sort of like a, a nice little surprise. Agree more. Um, like you mentioned, you know, the raw data is available. Not necessarily all that. Sometimes the platform information we use for some of our solutions, but it's really difficult to understand given that the, the context of the specific services, especially now for you know higher level services where the, the onus, the share responsibility model is more on say Microsoft. And that that includes hey, what's a what's a good operator? What's a what a good set of um, signal? versus trying to fish through that signal and trying to figure out um, what would be anomalous. It's it's not an easy thing to do. And I think you nailed it, Mark. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it, that share model is just uh, organizations are not accustomed to it. Uh, they're accustomed to these isolated uh, type of systems. So, um, and many times they just think, oh, we just ha have to extract all this raw data and keep doing what we were doing before. Actually, I was in a customer that was implementing all the uh, E5 uh, stack. And um, at the end, um, well, not, not at the end, in the middle of the planning, they say, okay, after you implement all this, I want you to extract all the signal and send it to this other area. And I'm we're like, wait, 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 you're missing uh, the modernization and transformation that will happen even for your uh, SOC, right, uh, for the security operations center. So, um, it, Definitely uh, understanding the capabilities and how it improves uh, uh, from end to end is really important. Yep. And uh, speaking of end to end, um, let's switch to architecture mode. Sort of like these, the long-term decisions that you're going to live with. You know, in the case of on-prem for 20 years ish. Um, you know, we're going to live with for this next generation of computing. So like, what are the things we don't want to get wrong? What are the things that we don't want to have to live with the, oh, I wish we did that differently back when we started this cloud thing? Man, talk about a, a, a critical um, sort of facet of when people look at Azure and look at it from a security perspective. Just on conversations today, they were, we were focused on pieces and parts. Um, where I, I emphasize and had to have, a, have, have the company take a step back. It's like, listen, one of the most cons important considerations you have to make um, would be around your, your architecture, um, literally, and how the pieces are wired together. And that not, not just from a, 
individual services point of view or technology point of view, which is absolutely critical and not just a networking point of view. It's across almost across the board and, and in particular around around identity and of course, you know, networking. I'm not saying it's not important. It's absolutely important. But I, you know, identity and this would include the, the users and admins of the system and how fundamental things like Azure Active Directory is for the operations of the systems um, inside of Azure, Azure Active Directory from a, you know, kind of like the management plane point of view, any of the, um, any request, any need to change a resource in Azure comes from a token from Azure Active Directory ultimately. And so having a simple, um, clean model, everyone understands around Azure Active Directory, standardizing on a, like a single directory and an identity system, um, gives you kind of that single point of view as well as control and auditability across that whole chain. So from a management plane point of view, but also from a um, authentication for use by individual services. You know, most of these you know, most services on, on Azure as well as most cloud services, you know, authentication, authorization, um, like authorization within Key Vault that Mike was talking about earlier, ultra critical. So. Um, authentication and the model you approach from a, a, not just a people person authentication point of view, but also application and service level authentication um, and having that being via a, a singular design and ideally a simple architecture, fundamental. Um, so that way you can apply the appropriate controls um, following a zero trust type methodology and uh, visibility in terms of monitoring. Um, it is kind of a no brainer, but it's something that, like you said, Mark, it's kind of hard after the fact, unless you sort of design it in as part of your architecture up front, is um, a little bit harder to change after the fact. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but if you do it appropriately and do it cleanly up front, it makes life so much better getting that singular kind of baseline and model down. Yeah, I had a, an issue just like that uh, this week, actually, with a healthcare customer. Uh, we were looking at identity models like what we're going to use as the uh, essentially the single source of identity and they had all this sort of uh, originally they had a pretty fractured uh, fractured uh, design pattern they're going to use that had identity and access controls all over the place and when they sort of played it out on paper they realized it was just unsupportable and unmaintainable and they ended up um, you know going to AAD you know Azure Active Directory um, and all of a sudden, RBAC fell in place, conditional access fell in place, or single points of authentication fell in place, single points of, authentic, of authorization policy fell in place. You know, um, a lot of it was revolved around Kubernetes, so, um, you know, pod identity all fell in place. Uh, access to Key Vault securely fell in place. I mean, all of a sudden, a lot of domino, dominoes all fell over that made it really obvious that going to a single model just made life, uh, would make life so much easier in the long run. I couldn't agree more. And like one of the things that I found, and in, in, you know, this is sort of part of the reason why, uh, you know, like this, the Spinal Tap joke, if it goes up to 11, the top 10 is actually 11 <laughs> best practices, is we, we we couldn't drop any of these. And particularly that, that last one of, you know, establishing that sort of single unified security strategy. Because we, we found so many times that trying to do things in the silos that were established technical silos that were established back in the early 2000s when we went to enterprise computing in the late 90s you know that's just the way things have been done for often an entire career of, of some folks and everybody needs to sort of get together and even if you stay in the same technical silos 
they need to get together and understand how all these things impact each other in a whole new way in the cloud. And you know, the big one is the identity, but there's you know there's segmentation and how do you break things up because you don't want to have the network segmentation you know essentially conflict with the apps and then they all fight about the firewall rules and they just open it up at the end because the apps always win. Like you know, so really just you know we found it so important to like bring everyone together. Um, you know, around the technology, but also just to work with each other as teams because things move so much faster in the cloud. Things change so much faster. You can't do the slow processes on-prem and the assumptions that we had built over the last 20 years. Um, but hey, thank you so much, uh, Tom and Mark, for going through uh, the top 10, 11 security best practices for Azure. So Tom, we'd like to leave our listeners with just one single thing. What would it be? From an Azure security perspective, um, I'm going to impair it what Mark kind of closed with at, at that 11. It really is kind of ranked when it comes to number 11, turn up to 11. And, and that's to define roles and responsibilities and get together as a team to figure out what the plan is um, and, and across the board. Um, it's what I've seen cause the most problems, but also can result in the greatest benefits. Cool, thank you very much. Hey, so with that, uh, let's bring this thing to a close. Uh, again, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. I know I learned a, a bunch of things. I hope our listeners learned a whole bunch of things too. So everyone stay safe out there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.